Welcome to Funding the Future, a special edition of Category Visionaries, where instead of interviewing founders, we interview the VCs and angel investors that back them with capital, resources, and advice. Now, let's jump straight into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Nikhil Chattery, General Partner at Nirvan Ventures. Nikhil, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks, Brett. It's a pleasure to be here. No problem. So to kick things off, could we just start with a quick summary of who you are, a bit more about your background, and really just how you made your way into the world of venture? Sure. I've been in the founder's shoes before uh, jumping onto venture capital, actually. So I have a master's in uh, engineering. I worked at various startups, also large corporates such as Siemens. Eventually founded my first business in 2011 and uh, remained its CEO for almost 10 years. I've been an angel investor for the past decade and very recently spearheaded the formation of Nirman Ventures alongside my partners. So Nirman is a venture capital fund investing in early stage construction technology. And uh, we're geographically agnostic. Our partners are located across five continents and are majorly sector experts. That gives us an unparalleled advantage to you know, our portfolio startups because uh, most of our investors are also industry professionals or corporates that are within the industry. So it's a it's an easy go-to-market uh, capture for our portfolio startups. And what was the trigger that made you decide to go from being an angel investor to really doing this full-time and launching a fund? That's a great question. Actually, I'm still trying to find that answer. I didn't know how easy or hard it would be to start a fund. Uh, supposedly, it's very hard. But I used to be an angel investor for the past decade. Most of my investments used to be life sciences and biotech. During COVID, during the pandemic, I gave it a deep thought, where am I investing? What are my superpowers? And I, I realized that, you know, I'm a construction industry guy. I've been in this ecosystem for long enough in various roles from junior, mid-level to leadership roles. And that's really my superpower. And how can I give back to the industry? We're more of an innovation fund than a traditional venture capital firm. That's what we like to differentiate ourselves as. Our purpose is to, you know, really take the industry forward. And we mapped the whole ecosystem. We saw a bunch of funds out there and they were being driven by purely, you know, financial folks, which is great. You know, investment management is a, is a great track to have. But we saw this void in our ecosystem where we couldn't find many fund managers who also have a deep-rooted expertise within the industry, how to operate a business. How do you run payroll? How do you make payroll? How do you sign contracts? How do you select vendors? And those are the challenges that the startups of today are solving within our industry. So that kind of got us ideating and thinking about the funds. So we started ideating about uh, 12 months ago, and January 23 is when we actually launched. What have you learned along the way so far from, from launching a fund? Lots of learning, lots of express learning, because I have a bunch of friends in venture capital and interacting with uh, VCs uh, in my past life as an angel investor. I had uh, somewhat of a knowledge, that's what I thought, but there was a, a lot of learning that we had to do along our way. All our partners, we, we used to keep going to different webinars, attending different conferences, you know, try to get our hands on any book that we could. But the toughest part of being a VC and the hardest learning is that you have to wear different hats each day. So part of the day, we were talking to startup founders. We also have to be alert. We have to be respectful of their time, that they're willing to spend an hour, 45 minutes with us. So we want to be alert. We want to be giving them the right feedback. At the same time, we're talking to our investors, our LPs. 
you know, existing LPs and potential LPs. We're also talking to other co-investors. So it's a, a day is a, each day is like very unique and uh, you get to wear different hats. And that's a challenge. And that's also something that uh, we love to it. And can you just paint a picture for us of what the construction tech landscape looks like today? So if you asked this question six years ago, seven years ago, I would say it was pretty antiquated. But in the last six, seven years, you know, the industry has moved forward multiple folds. It still lacks a lot of technology and it has a lot of inefficiency. So the whole construction sector globally is about $14 trillion. There's about $2 trillion of wastage in the sector due to inefficiency. So honestly, for us, when we assess startups, that's like it's a $2 trillion market gap that technology can help solve. And that's kind of where we stand today with uh, construction. You know, there are companies that are rapidly adopting technology, but there are companies who are still using fax machines. They're still writing their purchase orders by hand and faxing them over to their subcontractors. So it's good and bad, right? The bad part is why did it take so long? The good part is that there's a lot of simple solutions available in the market that can help speed up the whole technology adoption process. And why do you think that is? Why do you think construction has been you know, somewhat slow to adopt technologies? And, and why are things you know, still done with paperwork and, and manual work and things like that? I think it's also the people that work in the industry. It's uh, most of the businesses which we saw earlier in construction, they were family-owned businesses. So these were like first-generation folks that built the company and they were slow to change. When you're used to working in a certain way for long enough in your life, it's very hard to change that. So now what we're seeing since the past decade is a lot of second generation in the same companies are coming and assuming leadership roles in those companies. And those are the guys who are actually driving change. And those are the guys who understand that, listen, technology is inevitable. And now ChatGPT kind of proved it to everybody, right? Like if we do not go towards technology, we're going to fall behind. You know, we won't be able to compete with the market and market's going to throw us out, right? And I also saw on your website that there was some fascinating data related to the number of unicorn events that are coming from construction tech. Can you talk us through that a little bit? Sure. Like I said before, it's an industry that's pretty antiquated and there are sometimes very simple solutions that can solve a lot of problems. And that's kind of the reason why you we do not really need a deep tech play or a you know very high tech play in construction. The problems that the industry is facing today are quite simple. So if someone can get to an understanding of what the industry currently needs and what's the demand, like I'll give you an example. We're going through a severe workforce shortage right now. How many people are sending their kids to uh, trade schools? You know, where are the next set of carpenters going to come from? Where are the next set of uh, welders going to come from? So these are some simple challenges that, you know, we're going to face. And construction is, you know, one of the larger industries of the world. We cannot live without homes. We cannot live without buildings. So it's an industry that everybody should look at. Even the agnostic funds, sector agnostic funds, I think they should really look at this industry because the market is huge. And what stage are you typically investing at? So our stage is a pre-seed and seed. So we're an early stage fund. Our ticket size is usually 250K to $500,000. Through this fund, uh, we're going to be investing in 50 total startups in the next uh, three years. We've already started investing. We have five portfolios currently, and uh, we are geographically agnostic. So we like our startups to be in North America, but for the right technology, we don't see a limited geography. So 
you know, we have a startup from um, in our portfolio from uh, Europe. We have a startup from India. We have a startup in our portfolio from the UAE. So we're pretty broad. And then what stage is the product at when they're coming to you? If it's pre-seed or seed stage, is it typically just a few guys and women with an idea or what does that look like? Actually, this is the beauty of our industry. In our industry, you wouldn't believe it, but pre-seed stage also, we have startups that are close to half a million dollars of revenue. You know, again, like it goes back to what I said earlier, the industry is so ripe for disruption that there are technologies out there that have been you know, adopted very quickly. So usually we like to see some sort of traction. We like to see either a revenue traction of half a million dollars or $300,000 plus, or we like to see an angel round or a friends and family round that uh, the founders have completed before we jump in. And is this typically software or is this like 3D printed houses and heavy hardware like that? Most of the startups that we see are software driven, but we also look at 3D printing. We do not, unfortunately, we don't have anything in our portfolio because we still think that 3D printing is a long way to go. There are a lot of companies doing wonderful work here in 3D printed homes, but it's a very nascent technology. It's going to take about eight to 10 years to get fully adaptable. So I don't think it's for this fund because we are an early stage fund and 3D printed or any such companies are very cash driven. So they also need a lot of capital to support them. But that being said, there are a lot of companies in 3D printed. We have backed uh, one hardware company. So we don't shy away from hardware. So we look at everything. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. From the conversations you have with founders, what are some things that you see them commonly get wrong when it comes to either their pitch deck or just pitching to you and, and trying to sell you the story and, and the dream behind what they're trying to build? So we see uh, founders spend a lot of time talking about their backgrounds rather than their product and how it applies to the market. Founder background is something VCs can easily research. The pitch call is their chance to describe their product in detail and why they feel it is investable. Also, I highly recommend founders to read about how venture capital works. It's really not their fault that venture capital has been a pretty tight-lipped uh, industry, but there are some great books out there. There are podcasts like yours, which uh, help uh, you know people learn about what venture capital is, right? There's a, a book that I highly recommend to all the founders. It's called Secrets of Sandal Road by uh, Scott Kapoor. It's one highly recommended book for founders starting out their fundraising process. They just get a deep understanding of you know how venture capital works. A lot of founders think that it's the VC's money that they're investing. Yes, there is a bit of VC's money, but there's also VCs also have their investors. So as long as they understand, you know, what's a fund's mandate? Are they investing in early stage? Are they investing in mid-stage, late stage? What's their focus areas? You know, do they have a competing startup or a similar startup already in their portfolio? Then they might not want to invest in them, right? So they can save themselves a lot of work if they just go through each of the fund's, uh, you know, mandate and then they can decide who they need to outreach to. And across your angel investing and the current venture investing that you've been doing, I'm sure you've had the chance to interact with a lot of really interesting entrepreneurs. Are there any traits that come to mind or patterns that you see the most successful entrepreneurs have? Great founders know their weaknesses and they complement them by bringing on the right team members. 
great founders are passionate. If a person has to fail, they should rather fail doing something that they're passionate about. That's what I go by. Great founders are humble. They're yet sharp. And they always remain organized. That's something that I've seen as a common trend. And in terms of go-to-market, is there something that you tend to see entrepreneurs and founders struggle with? Totally. Sometimes they're just spending a lot more time in things they should not be focusing on. But it's natural, you know, especially first-time founders. I think defining your go-to-market strategy, also associating with the right partners, right VCs, right in the early stages, that can help founders a lot. We see a lot of times that founders just pick uh, money over quality of the VCs and, you know, what value they can bring in to them. So I think the day and age is for value-add VCs and founders should, they already know, they already know about that about after the SVB debacle that happened. But I think uh, more and more founders should lean towards creating a crisp board that's like, you know, board of directors or board of advisors. They usually just pick a VC to sit on their board or a bunch of VCs to sit on their board. But, you know, that's not the right move, especially for your early inception stages where you're actually, you know, you need to capture more customers, right? And, you know, most of the founders that we speak to and a lot of the VCs that we speak to, they're investing in SaaS companies and those SaaS companies are selling to tech companies. And obviously tech has just been decimated. Uh, yeah last year, year and a half. So all of those companies have had you know, a major impact and they've been affected in a major way. I'm guessing because you're focused on construction, it's not having that same level of impact. Is that accurate? That's accurate. That's absolutely accurate. We're not seeing that much impact to our industry. And again, it goes back to what I said. It's a very large market. There's a lot of simple problems that uh, you can come up with, solutions that you can come up with and that can solve the challenges of day, you know, today. Give you an example, there's Uber here, and then there is a startup in uh, Amina region, the UAE, that's called Kareem. So Kareem didn't innovate much. They just, you know, Uber worked in this part of the world, and they started Kareem and started working there because, you know, they hit the note with the local audience and they had the right price point. So there's, um, there's a lot of uh, plays there that founders can figure out where, you know, an idea has worked in a certain part of the world and how they can take a similar idea and a similar concept, of course, enhance it, make it better, but make it more geographically friendly for a certain region. That's like the rocket internet model, right? Those guys totally. That, the, uh, where were they based? I think it's Berlin. Yeah, yeah, totally. Nice. That makes a lot of sense. And in the current market today, what are you advising founders to do? And, and what are those conversations like that you're having with founders? So it's a rather difficult environment for founders. We saw... Inflated valuations during COVID. Also, we saw a grow at all cost mandate from certain VCs. Now we're seeing a lot of struggles to meet those valuations. And there are a lot of extensions or uh, bridge rounds that are happening. To us, it's uh, honestly the best time to invest. The best startups who are created in difficult times. It's a time to find the brave founders who have been silently building pragmatic businesses and have carefully balanced growth and profitability, you know. So I feel the next 12 months will set a benchmark in venture investing for the following 10 years to come. We'll see a lot more value-add VCs. Like I said before, they rise up the ranks and there'll be a redefined focus in core industries such as construction, agriculture, mining, that a lot of venture funding has not gone. And when you talk about these opportunities in construction, you know, my takeaway is, wow, that sounds like a no-brainer. That sounds easy. You just go start a software company in construction and you become a unicorn overnight because it's, yeah, it's such an easy market. 
what are we missing there? What's difficult about that? Why aren't there, you know, thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs throwing their hat in the rings here? Yeah, there are a few reasons. So one is uh, people still don't think that construction and core industries are sexy enough. That's one. The second is it's not as easy. It's a very complicated industry. You really need to know the industry inside out. So we see a lot of founders fail because they start out with a great idea. They have a good product, but they fail to understand how to sell the product to construction. So it's a very bottom-up approach in our industry. So you could know the CE levels or you could know the decision makers, but unless your product is accepted by the people, by the folks who are at the site, at the construction site, you would never gain traction. You would never grow. You would never scale, right? So your product has to engage the folks who are building on ground as much as it needs to engage the folks who are sitting in the office. So it's not a very simple industry like IT, where you just go and you have a technology and it works and it gets adapted. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And final question for you here. If there's any founders listening in who want to get in touch and pitch you some ideas, what's the best way to do so? And, and what advice do you have for them before they come and pitch you? So I'm a open networker. Founders reach out to me on LinkedIn. My LinkedIn is always open. I respond to messages on LinkedIn uh, myself. My email is nikhil at nirman.vc. I'm reachable on email. I'm very quick to respond to founders, especially founders. My advice to them is before reaching out, do a little bit of research. You know, I'm happy to give them advice. I'm happy to spend time with them. But if it's not a fit to our fund, to our thesis, you know, I would rather give that, spend that time with someone who is a fit, right? So it's, I have limited time in a day. Everybody does. So if they do a little bit of research, if they, you know, get an understanding of who we are, where we invest in and what's their ask, you know, be clear in your ask. Do you, you know, what are you building? Sometimes we have founders who are are approaching us and they have a great idea, but they do not have any traction. It's just an idea. They don't have a team. And I think that's the right stage for them to engage with team members. They should be looking at bootstrapping for a little bit. And, uh, you know, bootstrapping is great. I don't know why people think it's uh, it's not sexy anymore. A lot of great companies were bootstrapped. And that's the best way to generate momentum. You know, if you can validate your own product with your own money, you're sure to have VCs run after you later on. Makes a lot of sense. And I hope founders listening in take that advice to heart because it is, it's very true and it's, it's very useful. Now we are up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do... Anything else that you want to plug here? Do you have a, a newsletter? Do you have a Twitter? Anything else that our guests listening in should follow along? I'm most active on LinkedIn. I gave up on all my other social media channels when I you know, got onto LinkedIn. So that's why my primary focus, you know, happy to share my uh, LinkedIn URL. It's a uh, Nikhil underscore Chaudhary, I think, but that's the best place for founders to reach out to me. We'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. Well, Mikhail, this has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed our conversation and really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Thank you so much, Brett. It was an absolute pleasure. No problem at all. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 